0: If you will turn with me to Romans uh, chapter 6 that that Mike just read, and if you will um, stay there, I'm going to walk us through what he just read this morning. And as we do today, I want to take you back some 2,017 years ago. Um, Scripture tells us of people that went to Jesus' tomb, and in fact, in Matthew 28, we're told that Mary Magdalene and The other Mary went to the tomb that morning to visit where Jesus laid. And as they did, what they found was something quite astonishing, that Jesus was not there. Can you imagine that? Many things going through their head, no doubt. Who stole the body of Jesus? Where did the body of Jesus go? And there, that day, was an angel and stood and spoke to the two Marys, and he echoed these words, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. What amazing words that fell on the ears of Mary, Magdalene Mary that morning. Jesus was raised from the dead. He is alive. From that day, he would walk on this earth for 40 more days in a resurrected, glorified body, fully alive to the power of God. And he would ascend to heaven where he is now, alive to God, living in the power of God today. In light of that, it leads me this morning to ask a question, a question that that speaks to you and I presently right where we are this very moment. And the question is this, what does it mean to be alive? What does it mean to be alive? If you were going on the street and you were asked many people, they would give you a variety of different answers. This is what it means to be alive. This is what it means to, to truly live. But for you and I this morning, what does it mean to be alive? Because Jesus is alive, and he wants you and I to be alive as well and the good news is jesus shows us with his life what it means to be alive not only that he makes it possible for us to know what it means to be alive and so are we truly alive are we truly alive today if not what does that mean for us if we are then what should our lives look like as a result i want to dive into those questions This morning, as we look at the text that we just read in Romans chapter 6, if you would this morning, look at verses 12 through 13 to begin our time together. Look what the Apostle Paul, the writer of this, inspired by the Holy Spirit, listen to what he says. He says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those, and here's a key phrase, alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness to God. And so this morning, as I read this text, it leads me to ask a question. Are you alive from the dead? Can you echo that as part of your story that, yes, I am alive from the dead. And I don't mean simply that you're just walking this morning, that you got a heartbeat, you've got blood flowing through your veins. I mean, that's good. Life is great. Life is good. But I mean, are you alive? Is your soul alive? Are you spiritually alive this morning? You see, in reality, we all came into this world dead. And that may seem like a paradox to you to think, what in the world? We came into this world dead, yes. I know it's hard to think. It's hard to think about my four kids when we ended up at the hospital and to see these precious little babies come into this world and to celebrate their birth, their life. It's hard to think that we come to this world dead. But we do. The Bible tells us that, that we are born spiritually dead. Last thing we want to think about when Newborn babies come into this world, but spiritually every human being is born into sin and therefore spiritually dead. The Bible tells us that in Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 2, Paul says you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, which is the enemy of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. It's the story of all of us, whether we want to admit it or not. Because of sin, we're spiritually dead. We're lifeless and sin reigns in us and the members of our body, our mind, our eyes, our feet, our hands, every bit of who we are is instruments of unrighteousness. Meaning we live ungodly, we don't live rightly. And you might say, well, you know, maybe you know Christ today and you say, before I knew Christ, I wasn't that bad of a person. Well, Paul would disagree. And say, no, there is nothing good in us. There is nothing righteous in us. And so what a sad state. What, what, a, what a sad story to say, hey, that's my story. But all of us would say, yes, that's my story. And so we must become alive from the dead. I want you to look at the verse that we read first this morning in verse 12. It says, therefore, as it began this morning. It's an odd word place to start most of the time. Not many Bible teachers would start there, but I start there because I want you to see what it means to be alive from the dead. And that word, therefore, points us back to what Paul has said at the beginning of this chapter. In fact, look at chapter six, look at verse three, four, and five. We haven't read this this morning, but I want you to hear this because what Paul's going to say is this is how one experiences being alive from the dead. In verse three, he told us this. He said, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Baptism right there, he's referring to being submerged into Jesus Christ, being united into Jesus Christ, being sunk into the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we know the, the spiritual act of Uh, of baptism is what he's speaking of, but we think about the physical act of baptism. It's a beautiful expression of one who is dead in their sin and they're taken into the water to symbolize that their life has been changed and they've been buried into the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and brought up out of that water to walk in the newness of life an outward physical expression of a spiritual reality. And that's what he says in verse four and five here. He says, therefore, we have been buried with Jesus through baptism into his death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life as those alive from the dead. For if we have become united in union in a relationship with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we will also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Now, how does that happen? The Bible tells us later, Paul will say this in Romans chapter 10. He says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you are saved. And if you confess him as Lord with your mouth, it's not a maybe whether you're saved. You are saved from the penalty of your sin because what Jesus has done on the cross on your behalf. You see, we cannot save ourselves. There's nothing we can do. Not enough good stuff, not enough morality, not enough giving, I mean, you name it. There is nothing we can do to have our sin forgiven except believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's how we are made alive from the dead to where no longer sin doesn't reign. We don't have to obey sin any longer. We, we don't have to present our members of our bodies as instruments or weapons of sin any longer because we're no longer spiritually dead, but we are alive from the dead. And now we present our lives to God, he says in verse 13, as instruments of righteousness. Now, Paul's going to do something here. He wants us to walk away and understand, well, what does that look like? What does this look like? So he gives us a picture. Uh, Look at verse 14. He says, for sin shall not be master over you. For you are not under law, but you are under grace. When you hear the word master, what do you think of this morning? You you probably think of a, a relationship between a master and a slave. You might think of slavery, and that's exactly what Paul wants us to think about. He speaks of one being alive by using this imagery of master and a slave relationship. And before coming to Christ, one is a slave to sin. And sin is literally our master. But that is when we are under the law of God. When you think about the law of God, what's the law of God? The law of God shows us what sin looks like. It shows us blatantly and obviously what sin is. And that sin is ever so increasing. But he says here, you are not under the law, you are under grace. Those who are united with Christ, who are alive from the dead, are under the grace of God. No longer is sin and shame and guilt increasing, but instead grace is increasing all the more because of what Christ has done for them. But he focuses on this relationship between master and slave and this relationship that, that is a picture of our condition when we are dead spiritually. Look at verse 15. He, he speaks of this. He asks a question, what then? If sin is no longer our master, what shall we do? And here's what he says. Shall we sin because we are not under law but because we are under grace? And he answers it himself. He says, may it never be. And so he's building a foundation here to let us know that if you're under grace, if you've been united with Christ by believing in him, it doesn't give you simply a license to keep on sinning or to go on sinning even even more. Some believe that. Some have even created religions around that. we're not to keep on sinning because we are under the grace of God. We are forgiven. And Paul says here, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't line up because we have a new master. And then he says in verse 16, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness. Now one might ask, why is Paul so fixed on this idea of master obedience and slave? in his congregation, in his audience that obviously he was writing to, the people that he was sending this letter to, they knew very well in Rome what it meant to be a slave. In fact, a third of the people in Rome that he was writing to would have probably been slaves. Some of them may have been bought out of slavery, paid their way, worked their way out of slavery back then. Probably about 50% had uh, someone they knew And so they were very well familiar with this idea of a master and a slave relationship. And so it perks their interest. They they listen up as he is speaking about this. They knew what it meant to be under the reign of a master. They knew what it meant for someone who had to obey their master. And so he says here, spiritually, whoever we're obeying, Whatever we're obeying is what we are a slave to. You ever thought about that before? Whatever we obey is what we are in bondage to, what we are a slave to. You think about this this morning. We can be enslaved to many different things, a variety of different things. Our work, we can be enslaved to that, where we constantly think about our work, even when we're away from work and, and we're constantly strapped down by it. We let work rule us and reign. Our possessions can rule us and reign over us and be our master. Habits can be our master. We can be enslaved to sinful habits. Even good things that rob us from living for the honor of God. Think about this. I know this is obvious today and hot topic. Uh, These things right here are phones. Are probably the number one tool of slavery today. Have you ever thought about that? Apps on them. I saw a story recently as I was watching ABC News and they did a story of a guy that used to work for Google. And he came out and he said, I I had to stop working for Google because I got overwhelmed with the idea that we are manipulating Billions of people. I thought, wow. It's a big statement. He, he said, as I sit and I watch the code that's being written and the programming being written by not only Google and, and, and other groups, and, and all I see is them writing code after code so that people will feel the need more and more to constantly be on their phone. He said, I just started thinking, we're trying to program people's minds to thinking they need this all the time all the time you ever thought about that i mean when that phone dings right what do we do it doesn't matter where we're at it that phone can be in the other room right it used to be when the dinner bell rang that's you know we came and the dinner now it's the phone but you know ding and it just it it sets off this chemical and it just does something but not only that we don't even have to have a ding do we how many of us like Within like in a minute, if we haven't checked our phone, something's off, right? Or five minutes or or ten minutes, and and that's not condemnation. I mean, we all have, it's kind of like a reality for some of us, where we feel that need to go check and check. So think about that for a second. What are we doing? That is obedience, and we could fill in the blank for whatever it may be, but But whatever we obey, we are a master. That is a master to us. And we are mastered by it. We are slaves to it. We've all experienced it in one way or another. Now, what Paul's going to do is he's going to make it real simple for us. He's going to say, listen, let me just divide this thing into two groups, okay? And so look at verse 17, 18, and 19. Look what he says here in the text. He says this, but thanks be to God. So he's excited about something, Thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. That's the teaching of Jesus, the gospel. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. So he's speaking about this master slavery relationship. So they get it. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity, to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now do this. Present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in what? Sanctification. So the first thing he tells us is that we can be enslaved to what? We can be slaves to sin. That's the first thing. We can be slaves to sin. Jesus told the Jews this in John chapter eight, and they were like, hold on, man what are you talking about? I'm enslaved to nobody. I'm a descendant of Abraham. And Jesus said, no, we're all enslaved to something. In John 8, 34, he tells them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. We've all been in bondage to the slavery, but nobody wants to admit it. Jesus wants us to understand we are all in bondage to sin. So what's the second slavery he mentions here in this text that we just read? We are enslaved, or we can be, slaves of righteousness. And what does that mean? He's speaking to those who were once slaves of sin, but now they have been set free. They've been united with Jesus Christ. They have believed in him. They're alive from the dead. Just... As Jesus rose on Sunday, they have risen from the trap that so holds us of death and the power of death. They've been set free from being slaves of sin. Jesus says in John 8, 36, if the Son makes you free, Jesus Christ, you will be free indeed. And that's what grace does. It sets people free. It makes dead people spiritually come alive. And you were given, it says right here, those who have come alive from the dead, an obedient heart to the teaching of Jesus, the gospel. And now you're slaves of righteousness, which means now you live not for sin anymore. You choose instead to live a godly life, a righteous life. And the result of that is a big word, he says here, is sanctification. What does that mean? Real simply, what it means is your goal in life is to become like Jesus to become like your master, to live like him, to honor him. And so what does that mean for us today? Here's what I think it means. If we were just to narrow this down in simplicity, look at verse 20. He tells us this. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. In verse 21, therefore, uh, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? And then he says, for the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin, enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification, and the outcome is eternal life. If we're still trapped in the bondage and slavery of sin, Paul says here, then we are experiencing a freedom. But what kind of freedom? He says in verse 20 that we are free from righteousness. You don't want to be free from that. Because if you're free from righteousness, there's a problem. And the hold of death has not been released. Those who are slaves to sin, they are free from righteous living because they are not right with God. We cannot live right. if We have not been made alive from the dead presently, if one is enslaved to sin still, what are they experiencing in their life in the here and now? Paul says here, shame. Why? Because he says there's no benefit from sin. Guys, think about that for a second. There's no benefit from sin, yet we love to toy with it. We love to manage our sin sometimes because, hey, sometimes it gives us momentary pleasure. It gives us Something fun at times, or at least we think that way. But in reality, we get no benefit from sin. And the only thing we get is shame. And then he tells us about one's future destiny, who's enslaved to sin is what? He says in verse 21 is eternal death. Eternal death. Separated from God Forever. Forever. Forever, by the way, is more than the average lifespan. Whatever that is today, whether it's 78 or whatever, forever is longer than that. It's forever. And that is what the destiny of those who are enslaved to sin, who are never made alive in their soul from the dead. But there's good news, Paul says here. There's great news. Because those who are now slaves to righteousness, who have been set free from sin... That's their freedom. They're free from sin. And not only that, the the here and now, their their present day experience, what is it? It's not shame. No, he he says right here, it's that big word again, sanctification, meaning that their experience is to become like Jesus more and more because they're set free from shame. They're set free from guilt. Sure, uh, do they still battle with sin? Do, Do we still make mistakes and fall? You betcha, but we're living under the grace of God and we are living in forgiveness. And our master is no longer sin. And when we trip, hey, we are forgiven. But our pursuit is to live in godliness, to live like Christ in the here and now. And so what's our destiny? Eternal life, he says. Forever with Christ. And we can possess that now and know that. And then he sums it up to close us today. Look what he says. He says, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. What is Paul saying here? He uses a meta- metaphor about getting paid. And what he's saying right here is simply this, and he wants his audience to know, he wants us to know, is he says, This sin never fails to get paid. Do you know that? Sin never fails to get paid. Everyone enslaved to sin will pay its wages. And what's the wage? Death. Death. Have you ever thought about this, this morning? Sin will always get paid. And, and the wage of sin is death. And the reality is we all deserve that. We all deserve it. But what he says right here, but he he wants us to know this, but the free gift of God is eternal life. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus because guess what? Jesus paid our wages on Good Friday, on the cross. He paid the wage of sin for us. Remember, the wage of sin is death. He paid it for us. He was our substitute. He took our place. And it's a free gift because guess what? We can't earn it, and we do not deserve it. But it's the free, loving kindness of Christ, and it only comes to us personally, and we can experience that only by being united with him, trusting in him. And so today, have you trusted in Christ? Have you, for yourself, received his free gift of eternal life? Have you had a change of masters? Are you now a slave to Christ? If not, know that that's what the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is for. Jesus died to pay for our sins so your sins would be forgiven, so he paid sin's wage for you. His life, he died. He took care of your debt so that your sins would be buried with him in his death, satisfying the justice of God. And then on the third day as we celebrate and this Easter, but not only this Easter, he arose again conquering death. And he conquered death so that that could be your story. And that you could stand here today and say, I'm alive from the dead. Is that your story? I want to invite John back up and the band this morning. And I want you to think about that. Can you say, I am alive from the dead? Can you say that? If you can't today, we'd love to chat with you some more. We've got people here today all around you. would love to talk. If you have questions about that, we've got ways that you can reach out to us through the website. And if you ever want to sit down and chat over coffee and say, hey man, I want to know more what this means. Or maybe you're here today and you're like, you know what, God stirred my heart. I get it. I'm there. I understand. I want to believe and trust in Christ." Man, Come find me. Come find somebody else. Say, hey listen, I want to know more about this. And, and they will know what to say and where to direct you, and we'd love to just follow up with you on that. But are you alive from the dead? And then lastly, before the guys lead us in a song of just celebration this morning about being alive from the dead, I I, want to speak to you. If you're here today and you can say, yeah, you know what, I am alive from the dead. Can I share one last thing with you? I I want you to hear this. In verse 13, Paul told us this. He says, hey, Don't go on presenting your members of your body to sins as instruments of unrighteousness. But, here's what he says. Presents yourself to God as those alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness to God. You know, sometimes as Christians we get tempted to go back into our old slavery. Under the old master of sin. But Paul says here, daily. That's the idea here. Present your lives to God as those alive from the dead. What is Paul saying to us who are alive from the dead today? He is saying, every day is Easter, every day is Easter morning. As we are alive from the dead to daily live in the likeness and the death of Jesus Christ in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we've been set free, we are now to act free. Today, living no longer for sin but for Christ. And how do we do this? Presenting our life to Jesus Christ every day. Our mind, that we would think of him and reason in a way that would serve God. Our eyes, that our passion and ambition would be about Jesus Christ. Our hands, that we would use them in this world every day to honor and glorify God, our feet, that it would take us places wherever we go, even on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays, wherever it takes us, even on Sunday, that we would present our life to Christ for the glory and the honor of God, everything about us. And I want to tell you what, that's what the resurrection of Jesus Christ is for. Not for one Sunday, it's for every day, 365. Jesus died for every day so that you could live for him. There's a world out there that needs a church to tell them what it means to be alive from the dead. And how we do that is presenting our lives to him as instruments of righteousness, and he unleashes us. And so today, let's be unleashed by the power of the resurrection in this world.